Welcome to Pantisocracy, and this is your host, Miss Panty Bliss. Thank you for that non-applause. <laughs> Hi, um, welcome uh, to Pantasocracy, and welcome back to our second show here in the salubrious surroundings in inner city Dublin, the splendid front room of Belvedere House, uh, where if the walls could speak, they might tell tales of little Jimmy Jice, who went to school here. And listeners in radio and podcast land, you must go to pantasocracy.ie to have a look at the historic opulence that we're surrounded by today. And uh, equally, I should mention, if you hear a few seagulls or fire engines, you'll know I'm not faking it, as we have an eyeline on the city today. And that is kind of fitting, uh, because today we're going to explore this idea of a place to call my own. And what it means to finally say, this place is mine, and it accepts me. So with me, we have three very interesting people. Uh, first up, I want you to meet Roisin El-Sharif. Um, she's a singer and filmmaker, came to Ireland when she was 16 years old, and whose family is Palestinian and Irish. Palestinian dad and an Irish mum. She lives in County Galway, Ornmore. Um, but her family's sense of place stretches from Morocco to Jordan via Ornmore. Uh, but more about that later. And Roisin has a beautiful and stunning voice, so she's going to share some music with us later too. Welcome, Roisin. And next to Roshi is another Galwegian, only six miles, or we decided, six miles away from Roshi. It's Martin Beans Ward, comedian, performer. And Martin has staged a one-man show after my own heart called The Queen of the Travelers, about growing up gay within the traveler community in the West of Ireland. And Martin's even been known to have a good drag himself. Um, and I'll uh, talk to you more about that later. Uh, welcome, Martin. And finally, making up this trinity today, is the woman who comes from a place that I have for ages thought I'd love to visit. Um, it's Montserrat in the Caribbean. It's the Caribbean dub, as she calls herself online, Santos O'Gara. Welcome, Santos. Santos uh, <laughs> came to Dublin when she was just 11, and today is very much a Dublin Northsider, uh, raising her young family here. But also, like so many black Irish people, trying to grapple with everyday racism and motivated today by things like Black Lives Matter movement to share your experience. Lovely to have you here. But first, uh, since it is the show with my name in the title, uh, I'm going to take, keep the floor for a moment, if I may, uh, to talk to you a little about a place I call my own. You see, I am a cult chief from County Mayo, but uh, Dublin has been my home for most of my life now. And I live in a large, kind of landmark building in Dublin city centre. You probably know it. Uh, and like a lot of people, you probably think it's an office development. And indeed, it mostly is. But there is a small residential part to the complex. Just 16 apartments spread over four floors. The building was finished in 1980, and it was the first modern building of its kind in the city centre. And our apartments were among the first purpose-built modern apartments in the city centre too. They were kind of famous for a while and seemed decidedly modern, even swanky. There was a fountain and a kind of courtyard and tinted glass. It sits, however, in a part of town that is decidedly old Dublin. It's working class, commercial, full of pizza slices and phone repairs, discount stores, first-generation immigrants, bus stops, and a visible drug problem. The kind of area that has a mosque above a betting shop. Like myself, it's seen better days, but it retains a hint of exotic glamour. <laughs> That's what I'd say anyway if I were the estate agent. 
When I moved in there first, 12 years ago, there was a number of elderly residents who'd been in the building since it was new, but there are none left now. I got to know most of the other residents because of Penny. See, when you have a dog, people like to interact. Mostly, they want to pet her, but you know, even the ones who don't like dogs get to know you. Then a few months ago, I needed a taxi. I was on my way to a gig, but I was dressed in my civvies. And I'd left my big, heavy suitcase full of costumes and makeup and the, all the smoke and mirrors that goes into making this seem effortless. I'd left it in the hallway of my building rather than dragging it to the taxi rank. I knew that we'd be passing by on the way back, and I told the driver I had to make a quick stop just to grab it. It would only take a second. I put the suitcase in the boot, got back into the taxi, and as we took off again, the taxi man says to me, do you know who lives in there? I said, oh, I, I, I live in there. He said, oh, I know you live in there, but you know who else lives in there? Uh, he said it with the tone of someone who knows something interesting. I did a quick mental scan of my neighbors and couldn't think of anyone that might warrant the tone of someone who knows something interesting. So I said, no, who? And he replies in the tone of someone revealing something interesting. Your man from Pantybar. I considered saying, oh, does he? In the tone of someone who's just heard something very interesting and seeing where this conversation was going. But he seemed like a nice guy and I didn't sense there was any malice in it. So I laughed and came clean. And he was a little embarrassed, but he could also see the funny side of it. And I imagine he tells other passengers about it now. He had driven Panty to a gig once before. And then he told me he grew up in a small terraced house tiny workers' cottages built around a little square that had been built for the workers of the Dublin Brush Company. They made sweeping brushes and the like. And his family had lived there for generations. He grew up playing in that square with all the other kids, an assortment of mothers and aunts and grandfathers and neighbors all keeping an eye on them through the kitchen window from every direction. They loved living there. They were more than just neighbors. They were family. They were a community. And then... Out of the blue, one day, they were told they were going to have to leave. They'd all be rehoused in better, newer houses or flats, but they had to go. The whole area was going to be leveled, and a swanky new modern complex of office buildings was going to be built. Office buildings in one small apartment block. He told me all about growing up there, about his man, his aunts, about his friends. Well, what he knew about his friends, as promised, they were all rehoused, but the community wasn't. They were all rehoused in different places. It took a few years to build the new offices and 16 one-bedroom apartments, but it only took a moment to end the community. Got out his phone, and a few taps and swipes later, I was watching a black-and-white news documentary from the RTE archives about the little square where my building's courtyard is now. There were kids running around in shorts. One of them is probably me. And there was his stylish aunts being interviewed about it all. They didn't want to go, but they weren't given a say in it. They've both since died, but what hasn't died is how his whole family remembers the whole thing with great sadness. I'm a culture who adopted this city. The city adopted me. Feels like home, like my city, but I have only borrowed it. It was someone else's before me, and it'll be someone else's again after me. I love living in the city's heart, and I love my apartment, but I can't now help but also feel a little guilty for loving it. And sometimes when I look down at the courtyard, I think of that taxi man and his stylish ants. Thank you. Yeah, 
that's funny, isn't it? I had never even considered what was, you know, there before my building until the tax man told me. I felt so bad about that suddenly. Anyway, uh, Santa. I actually, this is weird because I don't know how many years ago I saw the Michael D. Uh, Higgins presented documentary about Montserrat. Um, yes. I'm guessing it was maybe around the time of the volcano when everyone was talking yes, about Montserrat. 95. And, uh, uh, and even though that documentary was 1973, but yeah. anyway, and I immediately became a little obsessed with it for a while. That's the way I am. I'll obsess on things because of its, you know, weird, funny little history and connections to yes. Ireland, and the fact that there are these, you know, total Caribbean-looking people sitting there talking like they're from West Cork, and it's it's sort of amazing to look at. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um. Well, I'm from Cork Hill Village, so West Cork in the house, maybe. <laughs> um, I grew up, um, it's a, Montserrat is a really small island and sense of community, just like what you were speaking about, was everything. Like I grew up pretty blissfully, mm. you know, I moved here when I was 11, 10 going on to 11. And it was that case of we had a river, we have rivers that you could go down and you fish and you're getting guavas and mangoes and you had all that around you and you were yeah. allowed to just run off. Like sometimes I'd literally get up, get my brothers and I probably have a PJs, my PJs <laughs> on and I'm gone. You know, yeah. my mom is out looking, we're already gone, but no one was really worried. Yeah. You know? But, you know, and in a way I could say the same about Mayo in yeah. the 1970s and all that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I want, I'm going to come back to you a little later, a bit more about Montserrat. But at the age of 11, you're uprooted and brought to Ireland, which is obviously, if you're going to Montserrat, you're aware of it. Yeah. But that must have been a culture shock. Yes, it was um, a proper culture shock. I was the only one at my siblings that was like, I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to. My mom was like, why? Because my aunt told me, oh, there's bombs over there. That's what, that's <laughs> all they knew about Ireland as. Yeah. Modern history. And that's why you didn't want to go. <laughs> I said, no, I'm happy here. <laughs> and they literally said, okay. My mom was like, basically, you don't have a choice. We're only asking you to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we were brought over here and we live, we grew up in Dunning Kearney and basically there's one, two, three, five houses. Yeah. And I thought like each house was a room. So I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to take, like, the white door at the end, you know, going in. And she was like, no, <laughs> you're literally going to go up the top. And that little room there in the back, which was the box room, you couldn't swing a cabinet. And how many of you were there? It was me and my two brothers at the time. And they're younger or older? They're younger. I'm the oldest. Him. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, at 11, it's a very particular age, isn't yes. it? Yes. That, you know, it's... Trying to fit in, like, instantly. Yeah. Instantly, I... Like Huckleberry Finn was gone and I was like... Um, what, what year was that? It would have been 95, okay. literally just before the volcano. Yeah. Um, okay. So we came and it was a different world. Yeah. And now I'm going to come over to you for a second now, Roshin, because you have a similar experience or one you can yeah, probably relate to that. Similar. Tell us your story there. I mean, moving when you're a kid is hard anyway because like it's great now you have... You're kind of like, it's an interesting story to tell. But when you're yeah. a child, you're just like, this is the worst thing in the yeah. world <laughs> moving. But I was definitely, I found it really hard. I will have to say, um, my brother, who was, who was 11 or 12, found it easier. 
but maybe like boys and girls are you know he yeah. had a different experience as well yeah. but well, uh, i found just it quite for the listeners, difficult uh, you had come from morocco yeah so my parents are just nomadic and unorthodox <laughs> your, your, your mom, <laughs> they're odd <laughs> your mom is irish from my mom's irish from leitrim okay okay very not morocco i know <laughs> <laughs> okay and, and, and your dad, dad is from palestine from, from gaza gaza Mm-mm. but you grew up in we grew up in different countries so i was born in saudi um which is you know yeah. went to an american school lived in compounds there was a, loads of expats yeah. in saudi at the time and we I, d- I don't know exactly how we managed to move to Tasmania, Australia, but we did <laughs> when I was eight. And so we... It's quite started, Irish, Tasmania. Oh, so why looks, not? You know, it's beautiful, yeah. you know. Um, but that didn't really work out either for my parents. So then we went to Morocco when I was 12. And um, Morocco is definitely like our other home okay. because my dad, that's just where he's the most comfortable, okay. let's say. But How had your parents met? Uh, they met in the Lebanon. Okay. Because your, your, your mom's a doctor. Yeah. And she was working there? or She was. Okay. And yeah, she's a cool girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool mom. But, um, okay, so, so to, to you, Morocco is the other home, is it? Yeah, I mean, definitely I'm a lot older now. So it's, I don't, like, when we, when I, when we first came in 2006, it was like a big culture shock because Morocco is a third world country. It has a lot of character, very loud, very spicy. Yeah. Um but we had always come to Ireland for like we used to come on holidays here. This is this our summer break was in Ireland, um, so it wasn't completely foreign. But definitely like going to school and having like loads of Irish friends. And where in Ireland was that when you first moved? Uh, Galway. Galway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it took a while, but I mean, I would have to say now I feel very Irish. You know, it took like a couple of years to. Because you've missed out on, like, yeah. you've had a completely different life compared to the people now you are associating yourself yeah. with. So there are a lot of things that you miss out on. Like, I remember someone telling me about the toy store, the toy show. The toy show, the late, late toy show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, And I was like, well, what is this toy show? That, like, everybody, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, no, we, we, can't, we can't go out that night. We're, we'll miss the toy show. And I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know? oh my God, so it was all, yeah. like, these little things that, like, with time, you, yeah. you gather. But, yeah. you know, being Irish now is definitely... The missing piece. Yeah. yeah. And now, now, Martin, because yours is, you know, well, it, it has similarities, but also totally different mm. in the sense that you're from the traveling community. Um, th- these were the force to travel. You wanted to. <laughs> but, 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 but you actually have a show about being a non-traveling traveler, kind of. I know. Uh, um, and it's, 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 I, my heart is broken listening to the two ladies here talking about hating traveling. So for, for me, <laughs> again, actually, it was forced on me as well, of course, because... I wasn't driving the van, yeah. you know, so I didn't have much of a choice. But uh, I travelled um, all over the country, actually. Well, I didn't. I, I, as I said, I, I, was, I was a piece of luggage that was brought around Ireland and the UK. And it came to a point in the early 90s, uh, 1991, that my parents wanted us to get a proper education. Yeah, uh, And that decision back then, it may seem like it was a normal decision for, for, for most people back then, but back then, travellers were far more traditional. Yep. So the idea of settling to, to make sure that your, your kids go to school was a new kind of phenomenon within the community. Yep. Um, and I am the, I, I actually, I'm actually the second out of all my cousins to have gone to third-level education. Uh, and thankfully, since myself and my, my other cousin 
went to in the third level education, we now have other cousins going now as well. Yeah. So we stopped traveling in around 1991. So what age were you then? Uh, six. Six. Yeah. And, and uh, so, I mean, that's very young, but do you have a sense of where you felt you belonged at that point? Um, I, mean, I mean, a lot of the two lady story here is about you know, your sense of place as being, you know, changing and well, that can differ, but you were, the culture. Yeah, I suppose up until the point that we settled, like, well, what, was, what would I have known, you know, it was yeah. like an extended holiday, really. But <laughs> it's, I tell you what, you're, you're quickly told about your place in society once you yeah. uh, intermingle with other people in Irish society. Yeah. And I didn't know that I was different or would be treated differently yeah. until I was exposed to the rest of society. Yeah. And that's the point at which I found that, no, I don't have a place in society. And when were you first aware of that? I mean, I'd say, as somebody mentioned about being 11, yeah. I distinctly re- remember 11 years of age as well. I suppose you're just about to kind of go towards yeah. puberty and your, your, your hormones yeah. are beginning to race up a little bit. You, you think about things a little bit differently. And again, it is about fitting in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fit in. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't fit in with my own community either for other reasons. I was a little bit more kind of standoffish. I wasn't into the, the sports, the physical sports, yeah. the boxing and things like that. That never interested. I, was, I started writing poetry at the age of 11. Oh my God, you were so gay. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine my caravan. It's all like down <laughs> down it. <laughs> well, um, well, actually, now that we brought it up, like... Um, if you had asked me to imagine how a traveller family would react to a son telling them that they were gay or whatever, I would have thought that would be really, really tough. But your family were pretty, I've been pretty good. Well, my, fa- my family are fine with, with the whole idea mm. of being gay. Uh, that's, that's grand. Um, but I didn't grow up in a household, and this may be something similar to yourself now, actually, uh, from, from the west of Ireland. We didn't talk about who we had sex with. Oh, yeah, well, do you know what yeah. you do? You don't. You don't. And you don't bring somebody back. You know? So for, for, for our house, it was no different for me than it was for my brothers talking about their girlfriends. Where it became different was when they did eventually get girlfriends and then they started on the road towards a long-term relationship and kids and the talk of marriage and things like that. Um, and I was actually in Manchester running a bar in Presswich. And my mother called me up one night and I was... Let's say inebriated. <laughs> it's my way of putting it. And she, she, was, she was kind of giving me some warnings. She was like, just remember now, you know, like, you know, if you're going, if you're going knocking around with the traveller girls over there, they'll expect you to go and ask them for marriage. And I was like, would you shut up? And it's like, oh, don't tell me to shut up. How dare you tell me to shut up? She said, you're going to eventually going to meet one of the girls. That's what always happens. Because, of course, my mother and father were in Manchester years ago as well. Yeah. So they have family over there, they know how it works. And I was like, listen, you don't have to worry about that. What do you mean you don't have to worry about that? Said, you haven't met someone, have you? I said, no. I said, I like guys. And then at that point... Just as casual as that. As casual as that. It wouldn't be that man. casual now if I didn't have about 14 litres of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just blurted it out. And I was like, you know what? The hell with it. I'm running a bar. Ah, you're not the boss of me now, you know? And then I was expecting her to be kind of a little bit like, oh, okay, are you sure? She just turned around. The first thing she said, and I swear as God is my judge... Who else in Tume is gay? That's what she wanted. She, she wanted the gossip. So, that is so That's literally what it was. And from then it was fine. My father then found out. Uh, what age are you, sorry, by the way? Like, I'm 35 now. Okay. So my father only found out there three years ago, actually. And when I came out, actually four years ago, came out publicly for the first time on stage for Galway Pride. 
And it was actually my friend, our friend actually, Catherine Lynch, who was on stage ah, with yeah. me. Yeah. And the reason why it was important for her to be on stage was the first ever LGBT-friendly or gay bar, as it was called back then, was your bar, was Panty. Um. And she was the first person to bring me there. She brought me out to the George afterwards. Uh, and then I ended up staying at her apartment. And that was it. That was the story. And then 10 years later... I, she was on stage with me, and then that's when I decided, you know, maybe I can help my community by coming out. You did it on the spur of the moment? <clears throat> Which, coming out? The, yeah, on the stage. Yeah, it was, yeah, with, with Catherine beside Amazing. me. Wow. Yeah. And, I, and, and I wanted to do it because, like, who am I worried about? Why haven't I come out? If I can help even one young... Uh, well, I think people from the outside might say, well, uh, you know, the travelling community, that must be super hard and difficult. So... Can be. But I tell you what, wouldn't it be worse now if you were 14 or 15 years of age and you didn't have somebody that you could look up to? Like, if, 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 if you don't see an adult being comfortable coming out, yep. what, what chances is a young 14 or 15-year-old kid? Yeah. True. You know, and of course, they need to well, see it. You know, the, the gays, they, they, you know, they find a way, don't they, in every community? <laughs> <laughs> I know a number of gays. Um, because it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, the two ladies here had to you know, combine these two parts to kind of create something new in a way. Yeah. You're, you're not the same as your parents. You're True. this combination in a way. Mm. And in a way, Martin had to sort of, uh, well, discover that you had to introduce yourself to the country that was around you all the time. And, and come out twice, by the way. Yes. As it, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking <laughs> yeah. Well, so now, now, Silas, you're also different here with these three because you are the one who is, you know... If, Passing on the street, everyone yes. will have an, um, you know, can see that you don't look like everybody else. Yes. Uh, a lot of the listeners will have heard you on, on Ryan Tuberty's show. Yes. And you told that story so powerfully. Um, tell us a little bit why you decided to start to talk about everyday racism. Um, well, basically, I have two young children, the three and two, and um, they're of mixed race. And I wouldn't wish that on them. And normally I would be quiet. I almost not ashamed to say anything, but almost, oh, I can't say anything because people are going to think I'm making a situation about me yeah. or I'm pulling the black card or the race card. And you're just always so conscious of that because you've made, you've been made to feel that way in a sense. Yeah. And I think with the George Floyd, just something just got unhinged in me seeing that, seeing a man calling for his mom and being a mom, I couldn't imagine my son, my nephew's, anybody going through that for whatever reason. Yep. And I guess in, it's this time in our generation, in my generation, when I've looked and said, okay, you know what? I have to say something. Yep. And I was going on the Ryan Toberty show for a different reason. And I said, look, we need to, I need to talk about this, please. Mm-hmm. I need to, I need to, I, I can't not yep. be on a platform like this and not address this, you know? And um, uh, We call it, Casually, we call it everyday racism. Yes. Is it every day? It is every day. Um, people don't realize it. And I've, I've had to adapt to that everyday racism in a sense where I'm not going to lie. It doesn't hurt me or affect me the way it shocked me at the start. Yeah. You know. Um, Even that's a bad sign. It is a bad yeah. sign yeah, yeah. when you think about it. But when someone says, if something happens and someone's left out of a group and someone would turn around and go, what, am I black? And it's oh, yeah. straight away, people don't realize. And it's like, first I was like, what is wrong with being black? Why yeah. would you even go down that road to saying that? 
And it's not me being um, sensitive. It's yep. me literally asking, what is in your mind to go there? And it's so casual that the grandparents said it. The Often there's nothing in their mind. There's That's nothing. Just it's just a say. casual thing, but... It is systematic that yeah. you don't even realize you're part of a system that's oppressing somebody yep. by just pointing out something as simple as that. And people will constantly try and diminish it and say, oh, yeah. you're, can you not oh, take I'm a joke? Joking. Or, yeah, whatever, yeah. all that stuff. But if, if, if you're hearing that every single day. Yeah. Uh, and to come here and then to adapt, to, to be trying to adapt. I don't know about you. I lost my accent. Like I was trying to lose that Caribbean accent. You mean you lost accent. your West Cork accent? Yes. I <laughs> <laughs> when I go to Cork, I am I am fit up a little bit now. <laughs> now, Roshan, you, I, I think, did something similar, did you? You felt you needed to assimilate and you know, modulate your accent. Is that right? Yeah, I don't. It, it kind of just happens. I don't know. How do you feel? Like I, I just, just try to fit in. I was just yeah. trying to fit in. Like everybody will just think I'm normal. I'm just mm. one of them. So. As a teenager, I went to school in, the, near, in, the, in County Meath. And they mm -hmm. used to slag me for my male accent. And I consciously stopped saying ye. Because oh, yeah. that, that was the word that I always got picked on. Mm -mm. And, 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 and I wasn't consciously changing anything else. But I ended up with a very flat, weird, yeah. mid-Atlantic accent or whatever. Like broad. Yeah, without consciously doing it, except for the ye. I was very conscious of that because that, every time it triggered. <laughs> it gave you away kind yeah. of thing. So yours was unconscious... I mean, I, I actually my accent kind of changes depending on who I'm talking yeah. to which I think is because like I went to American schools nearly my whole life so the teachers were American everybody was from all over the world yeah. there was like a pseudo American accent and then you go to Morocco and their English is like real it's it's not American but yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's 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 got its own accent definitely if um I have an Irish accent now, and but there some words will come out completely different. Or if I'm talking to any of my Arabic friends who don't have an Irish accent and are talking to me in their like Arabic English accents, automatically is like, you know, what? Like it's, it's just different. And, no. I, and I like, I can hear myself on the phone, but I have no like, you know, off button. <laughs> my mother has her telephone yeah. voice. Yeah, you yes. know, like, yeah. You know, Roshan, this is probably a good time to hear a song from you because you're okay. going to do a couple of songs for us today. Okay. Um, so tell us about the first one. Um, this song is called Cinnamon Eyes and it's actually a new song I've written. I wrote it uh, a month ago uh, when I kind of, most of the songs I write are like, you know, sad and about feelings. <laughs> and I kind of, this one, I was just looking at the stuff on the news and I kind of wanted a nod to um, my heritage. Yeah. And it's just, you know, definitely the uh, Black Lives Matter movement happened and I was like, that's so Amazing. Um, you're going to be accompanied on this song by um, my good friend, Anna. Um, nice to see you, Anna. Um, so let's hear it, Roisin. to me cause I love my mama die for my country from a long line of cinnamon eyes and I raise my hands to that open sky oh I know rolling fast that's the way it goes oh I know it's a different world down below what am I to do Stakes are high, and who am 
One of the things that amazed me when I came to Dublin first was when I slowly started coming to understand this. Generally, people don't know travelers. Like they, they didn't grow up with travelers. They didn't sit beside them in school. You know, I'm from the west of Ireland, a small town. Uh, until a, a family built a house between us in sometime in the 80s. You know, tra- all of our, na- our neighbors were the travelers, and uh, so I know. Tons of travelers. We went to school together. And they, we live in the same road. Um, we, you know, my dad yeah. visits you know America. You know, on Christmas Day, they come and you know, I, like uh, they're you know, I grew up with travelers. They're nothing unusual to me. And then Dublin people think they're an other species. Yeah, and that came as a shock to me because I just thought all Irish people had the same relationship to the traveling community that we did. So. You settled. What? Was it in Tumor? Uh, yeah, yes, it was in Tumor, yeah, when we actually moved to a house. Yeah. Um, I think that the term settled would, it, it's, I, I suppose, it's not seen in the best of lights. <laughs> and it's, it's not seen in a derogatory way, but it's yeah. also seen as a disempowering word. Yeah. Because it would suggest that we were unsettled. We weren't, we were nomadic. But I think one of the worst things you can say to a traveller that has moved to a house is to call them a settled traveller. <laughs> yeah, because um, it, it's, I, I don't know. It kind well, of takes I can a, see that, yeah. Yeah, it takes away from, from, from the, the travelling community. It suggests that in some way they're, diff- you know, they're not a traveller or... You know, yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. Um, 
But you're dumped into school then, you know, after, the, after you know, traveling around Britain and Ireland, and you're suddenly in a, in a room with these kids, and they've decided that you're different somehow. Uh, actually, it was a teacher who decided I was different. Yeah. Um, in, in, this, this is well documented, as I'm sure it's documented for everyone else here, if, if, if you've gone through the Irish school uh, system. Uh, we were segregated, and this, even my, myself, as recent as 2000, at uh, the year 2000, 2001, I was put into remedial English. Now, I've always had a fantastic grasp of the English vernacular and all yeah. the lovely vocabulary, you know. And, and, and it's funny, we were talking about how we change our accents and our dialect because I study a lot around sociolinguistics, which is exactly that, because it comes from, from a place of hurt for me. The way that I changed, I learned to speak. I didn't get elocution or yeah. any of those fancy things, you know. Didn't have the money for it. So I started to mimic and mirror those that were successful around me. Yeah. And I always found that the ones that always spoke well were the ones that came from certain elements of privilege and they were yeah. the ones who will always succeed. So from a very early age when I was in school, I started to learn the lingo of the masters, which is essentially what it is when you look at a hierarchical system yeah. that we're in. And if you look at, the, I suppose, the way that the political system is, is geared, very few people from the working classes, back then especially, from the working classes, or especially from travellers, were involved in politics. We have no political capital until Senator Eileen Flynn went up and kicked a load of those arses <laughs> that were her... Uh, the fierce woman. Oh, absolutely. And it was a moment of history and clarity for me because... I, I always go with this mantra, and I borrowed it. It's actually a campaign that's out there for young girls. It's called See It, hashtag See It, Be It. And the, 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 the message behind it is so simple. It's a young girl cannot aspire to be something if she cannot see it. If she cannot see uh, female singers, female actors, female politicians, she cannot be it. So I've kind of robbed it. I mean, pure stereotypical of the traveller. We've <laughs> robbed, <laughs> but it's, it's okay. You, you've robbed our culture, so no. it's grand. You know, I've seen it out. But I, I, I find that the the whole ethos and mentality behind that campaign is so it's so great because it's the exact same thing for young travellers. If we cannot see it, if we cannot see travellers in the media, yep. politics is where changes happen. You yep. cannot have a conversation around policy change until you get there. And going back to sociolinguistics, I always found that if you cannot speak the language of those at that higher table, mm -hmm. you're going to be pushed aside as a token. And yep. I don't want to be on this earth to be a token. Yeah. So well, I think, um, you, know, you know, when I was a kid, there was no gaze to model myself on. I didn't know what they were. They weren't on the telly. There's no Graham Norton and all that. And I was desperate for that. So I totally grasped that. Now there are no travelers on the TV. There's no travelers presenting, yeah. you know, radio shows and any of that. And Santis, you came in 1995 to a country where... Nothing. I was, was literally yeah. <laughs> on my own. Yeah. Literally, um, you go into, on the bus in the supermarket. I remember my friends, um, um, they had a baby and I push, I was pushing the, the buggy. Now, I was only a kid myself. Yep. And whatever way I was pushing, I remember this woman turning and goes, sure, she doesn't, they don't even know how to push a buggy. And I looked around, I said, oh my God. But for me, I was just like, who's they? Mm. Yeah. Because I, I was fighting so hard to be we. Yeah. That was my natural take. If you go to the Caribbean now, any island, it's good morning. You know, so it's the old school thing that it's like 
being going down to the countryside. Yeah. When I go into country, it's it feels like that. People are like, good morning, how are you? And when I came here, I felt like I was doing everything to adapt in some way. And it would just take those little moments when someone would say, yeah. oh, they, they don't even know. And I was like, I'm a child. I don't have a child. And people, of course, is assuming that you're African. I'm or, from Africa. You know, and that's a, it's not an insult, but for me, I'm very in touch with my Caribbean roots. Yeah. And... I know about Africa through the African people that I've met in Ireland. Yeah. The Caribbean is close to America, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of pain to get us there. Yeah. And we've made a life for ourselves there in a sense. And I'm very taught, in touch with Mama Africa. I really am. But in a sense, you can't just take who I am away from me because it suits you. Yes. You know, it fits into your mold. And that's what I've always taught. Um, well, you see, because now Martin touched on something and... Uh, you know, um, I used to, it used to annoy me too, um, as a queer person, if you are uh, a singer or you're a comedian or you're, um, you know, uh, in, on your financial uh, guru, shall we say, <laughs> um, a fantasy, um, and then you speak as, you know, your experience, you are representing you, but of course everyone projects onto you. Uh, that you are representing all people yes. from the, you know, like you are similar to you, the same color that's as you. That's scary. And that's, yes, it's a huge yeah. thing and it used to drive me mad. It's something you don't ask for, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's but that. at the same time, you feel a responsibility. You have to. You yeah. have to get the platform. So, um, like Martin, you alluded to that. That's, do you feel that people, all, that anything you say is going to be taken as, the, you know, the, the word, how travelers feel the about The gospel yeah. accord, the yeah. pavy point or something like that. That's, <laughs> usually, that's, that's usually what happens when a traveler speaks. I have a privilege. Today I have a privilege and I'm yeah. privileged to be here. Not just the fact that I'm a massive fan of Banshee, but the fact that I'm given a chance within the media. My communities don't get that that often. Yeah. So it's important that even if I give 30 seconds to mention somebody else who's doing really well, that, that's for all the travelers that listen and for all the settled people that listen, or, of, or all the non-Irish people to listen. It just gets our story out there more. And Roisin, you, I, I guess particularly here in Ireland too, for all sorts of historical reasons, you know, there's an interest in Palestine and the Palestinian mm-hmm. question. And um, I, I, I guess if, if I was you, I think I would probably get tired sometimes of uh, constantly being associated with that. And especially when in your case, mm-hmm. you know, it's not Palestine you think of, it's Morocco or... It's more Jordan now. I think yeah. basically I did, uh, I, last year I went to Jordan and lived there for three months to improve my Arabic. And yes, because you speak Arabic and all that, mm, right? Yeah. But like Moroccan Arabic and Jordanian Arabic, like completely two different dialects. <laughs> They're all like united by culture, but like it's... Divided by culture. <laughs> <laughs> but so I went and that had, I think that had been a source, a spot for me for a long time in the fact that we had lived in so many different countries that like, you know, when people would ask me where I'm from, I felt like, well, you know, from 8 to 12, I was <laughs> yeah. here, you yeah. know, um, because I felt a connection to every place yeah. you you live. Um, but I wasn't really connected apart from, you know, the history of Palestine and the suffering to really know much about the fun parts of yeah. the culture. Um, and, you know, the accents, like, you know, I love my dad and he speaks us to to us in Arabic, but like there's only so many conversations you can have with your dad. You yeah. want to meet people your own age yes. and like have your the same avenues or whatever. Yeah. So I went to Jordan. Uh, I've always been interested in that. I did a couple of jobs there and then I went back last year and... 
And you have family there, yeah. Though that were on your dad's side, yeah. Um, also from you know Palestinian refugees or Palestinian refugees, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the refugee camps became concrete, yeah. and so like anytime anyone has ever asked me, I'm always like I'm Irish Palestinian because yeah. like I've just always kind of like shown it all, you know. So there's no confusion or whatever. But it's not the same as like feeling yeah you know of course you you can't go together really no no but i mean like no jordan would be like the immediate place of where it and like jordan is like you know palestine's palestinian second home i'm very aware of my privilege when i go there because half of me is like i could have been brought up in this mentality if my mom wasn't irish you know what's what really sets me apart my privilege is my Irish passport and my Irish mom and the opportunities I've had. Like, are, are, for, I'm, yeah. maybe I'm stereotyping here totally mm-hmm. now, but would just your do you have like do you have girl cousins in Jordan? Yeah, whatever? and, and do all, they have the same freedoms and that you I have? I mean, they're all married with four or five kids. Yeah, it's a completely different culture. Yeah. So, like, um, I don't want to use the word oppression, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> and <laughs> um, but, it's, but it's not just the women that are oppressed yes. there. The men are oppressed there. The yeah. whole, yeah. like, poverty is an oppression uh, of sorts. Um, but definitely when I go there, I'm like, you know, an alien. I'm like, way too far gone. You know, every time I go there, they want to, like, really kind of hone in that, uh, you know, you will marry a, a good Muslim man. Oh. And, you know, you'll, you might start the praying. And I was like, oh, yeah. Inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> Inshallah, we'll see, you know. You know, and like they're they're really salt of the earth people. Yeah. Um but poverty is real and yeah. limitations of education, limitations of And actually you know, you know, your life because you know, on paper, you know, I know that working in film and all that is hard work. But on paper it's so glamorous. And, you know, I know. She, she she works on you know on Vikings and all of these kind of things. And then because of that, uh, I urge listeners uh, to go on YouTube and look up Roshan El Shari's videos. Because of course, you 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 can call in uh, good people to make your videos oh, and help mates, you, and you know like, a lot yourself. How are you? They're beautiful. They're gorgeous <laughs> and big productions. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate um, that. What's the second song that you're going to do for us? And the second song is called Cross Your Mind, and it's my latest single. It has a lovely animated video um, that was made by a friend of yours, I believe. My right? friend, yeah. Sinead McCormick. Yes. And also the song is such an earwig because this morning, my, um, uh, you know, cinnamon skinned, <laughs> <laughs> cinnamon eyed <laughs> husband was like, what are you, you know, rabbit? Because I was like mumbling away to myself the whole time after listening to it last night while working. Oh, so, um, yeah, it's a real earworm. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> no, so let, um, yeah. so, do you want to tell us anything about it? I write my my main genre of songs is like sad songs. That's what I'm into, and it's kind of like an honest depiction of feeling low and feeling like something's. Yeah. You know, when you get in, it is a blue a mood, blue a blue mood, and you can't really get yourself out of it. It's about yeah. that. Okay. Don't you believe me, baby When I said that I was coming around Is it too easy, baby To knock you when you're down Don't you believe me, baby When I said that I was coming around Is it too easy, baby 
Cross your mind. Oh, I wonder. 
I've always been jealous of musicians, you know. All, always, especially talented singers as well. Yeah, because they can do this thing that captivates everybody in any room. You know, you don't... You that just you can open your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm always, always, always jealous of it. Santos, I want to just you know, ask you two, two little things. Because like, I mentioned earlier on, and I'm aware now that listeners might think, what, do you know, about you know, just very briefly, Montserrat. Your really weird little history. Uh, you know, a Caribbean island couldn't be farther from Ireland. Uh, in the 1700s, uh, Irish people and others, some of them involved in the slave trade, yeah. some of them uh, just regular workers. Yeah. Uh, intermar- it's a bit complicated, but it's anyway. It's very complicated. And I'm literally... and everything yeah, in Yeah, so you get the stamp on your passport when you go in and it's a shamrock. Like, it's very much a coming to the Emerald Isle. You and know? so they call it the other Emerald Isle, the, the Emerald Isle of the Caribbean, the Caribbean or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it, but it has like, there's a, there's a Kinsale. And, Kinsale, Cork, yeah, there's so many. There's like so little, many. Um, even things that I don't realize. I remember what my mom said when she came here first, um, she heard someone speaking and she, she stopped. It was a Cork accent. Yeah. Well, obviously, we wouldn't have known about a Cork accent in yeah. Montserrat. We just the way we you talk. And she, 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 you went back as um, you've you've been back to visit. I've been it? back. Yes, it looks very small when you go back. It's like I went back as an adult then. Like how, how big actually is it? It's um, it's not even the size of Dublin. It's tiny. It's but beautifully tiny. But half of the island now is has been. Ravaged by Mother Nature. Of yes, because depending on what age you are, people, I, listeners will remember, I won't remember, but yeah. um, to me, that's the two things about it. I, yeah. I, I had discovered that there was this weird Irishness about it, and, uh, and it's fascinating, and people should look on YouTube just to hear them, people speak. Yes, it's so and they amazing. sing the ballads and everything. Yeah. yeah. And then there was the, the, what year was the volcano? It was 95. Like, I was literally here two months, and... The thing was, I said to my mom, look, I'll come and try it out for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we were going to school and I just saw on Sky News, a Caribbean, I could still, you you speak about poetry, but I actually, I remember writing a poem that night because I was so heartbroken and I didn't know how to. And just for maybe younger listeners, some of our people, it was a massive. Yeah, half the island gone, like the modern day Pompeii. Literally yeah. just covered everywhere. You wouldn't recognize it. Yeah. Um, really sad to watch that because... Especially from a distance and, and you'd only just left. Left and then when even going back, nothing is the same. And, and, your, and your surname is... O'Garro. O'Garro. Yeah, and of course, uh, here people would think of O'Garro. Oh, O'Gara. even O'Hara. We're not really sure yeah, so. where that mix came from. But I think it's, um, it's really interesting. And... Sometimes when I was here and people were saying things, I wanted to just say, I'm actually, you know, I'm very Irish. Yeah. I'm very yeah. in every way. Yeah. You actually listen to me for a minute. Um, you know, the, the effect, I'll start with you, Sandy, is the effect of you know, speaking out as you have done re- recently. I feel very Irish now after that, just because of the people that have reached out and said, I didn't know that I'm going to learn. Yeah. Because I feel that's an acceptance all the time that I've been here. I've been changing myself to be accepted. Yeah. And now people are saying, didn't realize that. You know what? I'm going to see what I can do to make you feel more comfortable. Yeah. And that's really beautiful. Yeah, really, no, it really is. And I'm beautiful. really glad to hear that because, you know. I think it's okay to admit it. It's okay to say, you know, I actually didn't realize that saying mm-hmm. that could actually have re- repercussions yeah. on yourself or other people of color 
in any color, any sense. Like, you yeah. know, I think it's it's okay. It's It takes a brave person to go, you know, I didn't realize that, but I'm going to yeah. try and do better. And that's all we can do. Yeah, well, I, my attitude is nobody's perfect. No one's perfect. As long as you acknowledge that on yourself, yeah. you know, that that's... Uh, yeah. Perfectly imperfect. So for you, you know, there aren't many voices, traveler voices uh, out there. You, you're one of them. And now whether that's, you, whether you choose that or have it pushed upon you, you, you have this responsibility. And you have a responsibility to yourself. Do I have a responsibility to myself? Yeah, I mean... Absolutely. Uh, like, I just want to make a living. I want to have the same opportunities as, as my peers. My whole following was, like, every bit of comedy I've done is outside of the circuit. They didn't book me for gigs. Yeah. So I had to create my own shows. I've created my own characters. So now I can start selling tickets for the very first time. That's my responsibility to me, is to be able to just have a, a comfortable life. I don't care about the fame, I, I'll be honest. But I do think there is the responsibility then as, on me as a person from my community and as um, a member of the LGBT community as well, to be that nexus point, because my community have to catch up. And my community still need to adapt to the fact that there are LGBT people within the community. We have the highest rate of suicide in Europe, travellers. If you look at 10 travellers walking the street, one of those will die by suicide. And life expectancy is... 3% past 65 years of age. Another massive issue within the community is mental health issues. I've suffered from anxiety since the age of 14. I'm so much out there on my own because I'm the only traveller comedian, first off. There's no one else I can ask, (laughs) what do I do? Do you have any contacts? I have to beg, steal and borrow contacts to get forward in my career. You know, and I'm hoping that by me doing this, that there's going to be a network left behind to help the next generation of travellers. Roisin, you are planning to connect more with uh, Jordan and go and film there and make some of your beautiful videos there? I hope so. When... Yeah, I've got a few notions myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, well, you are, in a way, combining this um, background in film with your love of music. Is yeah, I feel like they overlap. I mean, like yeah. anything, like I love, like the idea is that if, you know, the music, I like making a living is very important. Yeah. But as of now, I've never really made a living out of music. It's just the dream. There's a billion other things I wanted to talk to you, and we never got around to them. Um, so uh, let me thank you all uh, for being with us thank today. You. Um, that is it for us today in Pantocracy, and the second of two shows we've recorded here in the splendid surroundings of Belvedere House. So thanks to Martin Beans Ward, uh, to Roisin El Sharif, and, uh, and to Al McKellar, who uh, accompanied you, of course, and to Santos Ogaro. Thank you all so much for being out with us. Uh, check out pantocracy.ie for everything else, and. Uh, Continue to listen to us here on RT1. Bye.